4: Following a disastrous performance away to Brighton last weekend, Klopp finally seemed to respond with a rotated red side picking up a much-needed win away to Wolves in the Cup on Tuesday night. Despite the alterations we've seen, many Liverpool fans will be reserving their judgement as they wait to see whether these changes remain for Chelsea's arrival, at Anfield, this Saturday. And with both sides in poor form, Saturday's game promises to be an intriguing contest and joining me on the pod this week to share his insight on what seemed a chaotic season for Chelsea to date – I'm delighted to welcome on path writer owner and podcaster for the Chelsea spot. Welcome on path.
3: Thank you very much for having me on.
4: No, good to good to speak with you. Uh this is a it's an interesting one because obviously there's just so much we can talk about when it comes to to Chelsea. I mean I, I look at the league table, I see where Liverpool are, in ninth place. I see where Chelsea are in 10th place. I see the points that they've got uh, <laughs> over the games that they've played uh and it's it's fair to say that the the season has not worked out how I think either. Fan bases would have hoped or expected to be honest so far I think that's a that's an understatement, um, but then also I was looking back at the fixture list and of course, sort of both teams were set to meet earlier in the season, probably would have had a conversation about uh, your expectations and things like that um, and now we're so much further into it, uh, but I do want to sort of ask you just to cast your mind back a little bit to the end of last season, um, and just reach reading out purely here on paper, finishing third in the Premier League. FA Cup runners-up, EFL uh, runners-up, quarter finalists of the Champions League, uh, winning the UEFA Super Cup, winning the FIFA Club World Cup, of course. Uh, Of course, on paper, you're looking at that. That does not look like a bad season whatsoever. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, come the end of last season, what your expectations were. Obviously, the the, the ownership situation uh, was more or less impossible to predict the way in which that escalated. But from a fan's perspective, uh, what were you expecting at the end of last season?
3: It's really it's really interesting, actually, the way you say that, because I think when you, when you look at it and um, sort of how we've been doing in the last few years, I think naturally I would say, oh, I expect top four. I um, expect perhaps like a cup trophy to come in. But I think realistically over the last five, six years since we last won the league under Antonio Conte, and even then in the season before that like with Mourinho and things like that, we've sort of papered over the cracks a lot with our managers and with our transfer business and things like that. And the whole point has been towards short-term success. So it doesn't surprise me at all that the season that we're having so far has come about where things just don't go away. Our squad is getting slightly exposed. I mean, I wrote, I remember writing an article um, when Frank Lampard was in charge and he was top of the league in de- December. And this is the same season he got sacked a month later um and I I wrote an article everyone was obviously going on about Chelsea top of the league we'd just beaten Leeds who were playing well with 3-0 or something at Stamford Bridge at home um and I was like do we have a big squad yeah do we have the best squad absolutely no way and I think although we've made signings since then our squad really hasn't improved if you look at the signings which we made um since then that includes like Lukaku look where he is now um and the players we signed in the summer haven't really made an impact on the season as we would have liked. And the only thing I have to say is it does look like Todd has learned a lot from that. And I know that's quite ironic because we've just spent, what, 70 to 100 mil on another player. Um, But from everything you're hearing, from everything which is looking to come out um, this summer, we're expecting a huge clear out and he's made it clear to the players that if you're not going to play well, I'm just going to sell you on, and that's sort of the ruthlessness mm-hmm. which we haven't seen in the last few seasons. Um, so in that sense, I am looking forward to what's coming up next.
4: Yeah, and but 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 going into this season, even before obviously, um, well not before, but sort of early in the Todd Bowley uh, era as um, as the owner of the club, um, in, in in terms of sort of how you were thinking that Tuchel could. Evolve the side, uh, the areas of the squad that you you thought okay, these are the areas that do need to be invested in. Were you happy with the business that was done at at the time? Um, and in terms of sort of what you were thinking, Tuchel was going to be doing in terms of you know, helping the side to kick on even further. Um, where were the areas where you thought so? Okay, he needed to, he needs to focus on these areas of the pitch.
3: Well, the the big thing, absolutely, which I think any Chelsea fan would now say is that we have been needing a midfielder for four or five. Years. Mm. We haven't replaced really Fabregas or Matic since, and that's the reality. And mm. for some reason.
4: Right, so is Tuchel, that a creative midfielder or, or sort of a more holding? Because no, obviously Matic and Fabregas two two different types. Yeah, uh,
3: sure. It's definitely more of the holding side. Um, and I mean, Lampard, he made it so clear he wanted Declan Rice, the club didn't agree to that. The I think the big thing which we have to realise is Tuchel, for some reason, didn't want a midfielder, but this. I mean, it actually makes no sense with what he's doing. So he, he recognised Kovacic, Jorginho Scantes as three main midfielders. He's even go out he's gone out and said in, you know, pre season press conferences that, oh, we've got this three, or maybe we'll look in the market, oh Loftus Cheek could be that fourth midfielder, blah blah blah. Um but because he played three at the back predominantly, he didn't really see Mason Mount um as someone who could play in that midfield, whereas if you play in the four you could play him in midfield and well that's where he should be playing, he's a number eight. But There was a report, a really reliable one from Matt Law, The Telegraph, who said that it was the club who had signed Zakaria because they recognised we needed that defensive midfielder. And Tuchel didn't even know who Zakaria was when he arrived. Um, So it's it's things like that where you're like...
2: Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile. When it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection, from our popular range of bespoke design t shirts, sweaters, hoodies, and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints, and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping, we have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, You can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index.
3: We have been crying one for a midfielder out for ages and it didn't happen. Luckily, Sakara's turned out to probably be our best midfielder this season and I imagine the club may be looking at signing him permanently in the summer with the option to buy if he carries on playing well. Um, So, yeah, it's definitely the midfield which, you know, sort of, has let us down in the last few years, and Sakari has pretty much saved that and shown that we really do need that sort of defensive sort of midfielder.
4: Hmm. And yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of Liverpool fans listening who are like, "Oh, uh, a manager who didn't realise that <laughs> the essential midfielder was needed." <laughs> and uh, and then yeah, I, I'm, I'm highly doubting that FSG are going to go and just decide to buy uh, uh, Moises Caicedo uh, and go there. You go, Jurgen, yeah. play play him. You know, I doubt that's going to happen. But as much as I'm sure large. Proportion of the fan base would would love it to happen. We'll see see what happens there with the evolution of that midfield unit. But um, one thing that's interesting there uh, and already clear, of course, was the way in which there were disagreements between the manager's perspective on things and then the club's perspective on things and the club acting outside of the manager's maybe awareness. Um, I'll have to admit the circumstances around Tuchel's departure. I, I wasn't really sort of clued into in terms of exactly why he left I mean, you look at the results and there's nothing there that strikes you immediately as okay he needs to go you know, he's really struggling at that point so i'm guessing it was more around sort of the discontent and the disagreements behind the scenes was that the case in terms of sort of why why tukul was sort of showing the door
3: yeah it's really interesting actually i had this big discussion today on this and the the thing with the thing with Tuchel was that he well yeah they just had different sort of perspectives in the way they wanted to run the club forwards. Um, I I think every Chelsea fan was starting to finally realise that he wasn't sacked due to performance related things Um, because then that would be a bit ridiculous. Todd had to give Tuchel that chance at the beginning. He had to give him you know the Aubameyangs, the Kulabares, the Cuorellas, the Stirlings. Um, because there would have been absolute uproar if you haven't given Thomas Tuchel the guy who won the Champions League, won us trophies last season, finished third in the Prem. If you don't give him what he wants, there would have been an uproar from the fan base. But I think they were absolutely just waiting for him to get a little bit of bad form and then just get their man in Graham Potter, who clearly is their guy and they're going to back for the next few years. Um, But the definitely the big thing is the way they looked in the future. If you look at sort of the way Thomas Tuchel sort of handled uh, the pre-season and the youth players. That was completely opposite to the way Bodie wants to do things. For example, he was willing to let Ethan Ampadu go uh, completely permanently, despite him being the best player in our pre-season. Todd Bodie settled, said, sorry, said, no, we're not letting that happen. You can go on loan, but there's no way we're even allowing an option to buy. That got removed very soon. Um, I I know Trev's camp really well. Trev was bang on set to leave, told Tuchel, if you're not going to play me, I'm going to leave. Um, Bowley then says, Nope, you're not leaving. We're going to make sure you stay. And then eventually, a few months later, he goes and signs a six, seven years contract. Um, Levi Colwell is the best, well, one of the best under 21 centre backs in Europe. Just didn't get a look in. Okay, injury didn't help him much in pre season, but it doesn't take too long to look. Oh, uh, he's just played incredibly in 40 games in the championship for Huddersfield. Tuchel just didn't bother having a look at him and felt, uh, We may as well sign Koulibaly for 30 mil. It looks, if you look at the Prem game so far, I think Levi's definitely shown a lot more than what Kudabari's done. So it's things like that where there was just conflict, um, a lot more than just the results. Okay, a 1 0 loss to Zagreb in the Champions League isn't great, but it wouldn't have been the end of the world. And as you can see, Potter's lost some simple games and nothing's really happened. So I think that's, that does suggest that it wasn't all performance related.
4: Hmm. So, more about sort of the approach, sort of the promotion of youth. I mean, many people have long talked about the quality. Of Chelsea's academy and you, know, you rarely saw players making that transition to the first team and, and getting regular football so a little bit here and there often sort of caused by just the situation that the club was in at the time your players being injured there being a, a need for a player to come in and, and the academy helping out in that sense but that's what you're you're saying there more around sort of the the approach that was going to be taken about promotion of youth uh, a slightly different sort of philosophy is is, is that what you're saying
3: Absolutely that. I mean, the only manager who has really done it for us was Frank Lampard. And yeah, he got it a little bit forced upon him, Mm, the fact that he had a transfer ban, as you said, sort of unforeseen circumstances. But he could have chosen, for example, to play Ross Barkley over Mason Mount. He could have chosen to play Olivier Giroud over Tammy Abraham, things like that. Um, Whereas most other managers have just completely ignored it, don't really think about the long term because they know their line, you know, their job is on the line. And... As much as I do, want, you know, I come from a guy who's really biased towards the academy. I watch them pretty much week in, week out. I do understand from their perspective, they're like, "Oh, there is a risk playing a 19-year-old." As much as I think they could suit the team really well, I think you'd get that with Harvey Elliott. He, I think, he plays really well for you guys, and he's sometimes the best player on the pitch. Um, but like. I, I'm always like, if you trust them, if you give them some time, Chelsea Academy is one, known as one of the best academies in Europe for a reason. They know what they're doing. And as we've seen with Lewis Hall so far this season, the way he's just completely displaced 60 million signing Kukarela from the team, these guys are good enough to do a good enough job for you. And it's just important that you back them, which, it, as you said, didn't look like Chuka was going to do. And that's what Todd wanted.
4: Yeah, and it's, it is it, it, it's certainly a departure so, so from what we've seen beforehand in terms of many previous managers uh, I mean Mourinho included them just not seeming willing to actually give uh, those players a chance and it's also led to the departure isn't it clearly of a number of sort of really talented academy prospects I'm just thinking of Tomori from the top of my head Uh, never really understood why Tomori was allowed to to leave uh, rather than develop at the club and then of course he's you know, gone on to have a good career so far in in Italy, winning the league with um with Milan, of course. So it's yeah, you, you don't want to be seeing that with or further academy prospects, of course. But we have to turn to transfers because there's a lot of them, right? So we should probably start getting through yeah. getting through them. To be honest, um, uh, I'm just going to read that list to Tell me if I miss anybody. But Fafana, uh, Mudrik, of course, who's just joined the club, Cucurella, uh, Raheem Sterling, uh, Badishai Koulibaly, uh, who else you got? Obama Yang, I mean, I forgot about this. Um, Yao Felix, another big name to sort of mention there as well. Zakaria, as you, as you talked about. Um, I've probably missed some players out there, so do let me know if I have done, um, especially if they're on the younger side and sort of promising for the future. But uh, a huge amount of business, and I suppose the question I'd ask you is, first of all, what do you make of the business and the signings that have come in? Maybe you can sort of, Go through a few of them in terms of sort of how you think they fit. And that, my second question is more around that the fit in terms of you look at all these players, and I'm not sure in, in my head perhaps just how joined up the thinking seems to be in terms of the approach that you imagine Graham Potter's looking to uh, implement.
3: Yeah, it, it's really, really interesting. I think Todd has made it clear, um, at least vocally, that the plan is to buy younger players, to buy these guys who are going to play for us in the future. Um, and if they don't, you can sell them on for a profit by buying them cheaper. I think you saw that with signings of Chukwameca for 20 mil, Amari Hutchinson we got from Arsenal, and yeah. by, um, Cassidy from Italy, for example, who's in our academy. I imagine he's going to go on loan in the next few months. Um, but then you have the other side of it where you've got, oh, we've just bought Kula Bali for 32 mil. He's about 31 years old. Oh, we've bought Sterling for 28, oh, sorry, 40, 50 mil. He's about 28, 29, whatever. Um but that's where I think it came in the sense that we oh we have to back Tukla a little bit in the beginning. And I really do think Todd would have learned from those mistakes. And from everything which has been reported, which I'm hearing, it looks like even some of the signings in summer could move on. And I think Koulibaly is a massive one who we could just see leave after a season if another club wants him. The problem with this is is there going to be another club who wants to pay Koulibaly's wages?
4: I was um, going to say, yeah
3: this is the problem and it's going to be interesting to see the way Todd can handle that because as much as you can say to him okay we're not going to play you um, so either you leave and you try and lower your wages or you stick around and you don't play that creates an unhappy guy in the dressing room and then you, we all know what happens with that it just completely collapses and who knows what happen from there um, so it's going to be really interesting the way the way Todd handles it I think his, incent- his incentive is good I'm slightly worried until we have this multi club system, which he is trying to do, um, we sort of got a load of players in the same position, especially in midfield, similar ages, similar young young players who don't really know what their plan is. For example, we have signed this Andre Santos, Brazilian. I don't want to say wonder kid, but you know, some twelve million guy from a guy who played in the second league of Brazil division, and Cassaday and Chukwumeka. You've got Lewis Hall, who is a midfielder. Um, you then Mount and Gallagher are still really young. Loftus Sheik is still around. So what is the actual plan? I don't know. Until the multi club model. Multi club model is a brilliant idea, I think, for us, because we have such a good academy. We bring in players for young, we send them out on loan there. If they play well, they're good enough to make our squad. Brilliant. If they don't play that well enough level, you can sell them on for a profit. But until that's made, I think there's a slight worry about where we're heading.
4: Yeah, so sort of the the official multi club model instead of the sort of the the, the unofficial multi club model of the past with mm. the tests. Uh, taking some new players yeah. online of course but of, of, of the signings that have been made I mean you, you talked about some of the ones there who are uh, further on in their careers than um, than is the approach now to sign young and then have the resale value uh, but of the of the players that have come in uh, since then um, uh, uh, which of the signings do you think have shown uh, signs that they could be a success uh, and which of the signings are you are sort of most pleased with?
3: Um. I think I think we have had successful signings. I mean, obviously the young players we haven't seen much of, so I don't want to speak too much on them. And you're sort of expecting it from the future. I think Raheem Sterling, as much as people are making out the fact that he's on ridiculous, not, not ridiculous wages, but he is very high wages because he was one of the best players in the country at a point, um, an England international. He is still, I think, can offer a lot to this team. I do generally believe that because he is a player who sort of succeeds with top, top players around him. Mean, he doesn't really have that at Chelsea at the moment, to be totally honest. And there's a massive difference when Reese James is playing behind him and when Azpilicueta is playing behind them. And that's something which I'm sure we'll talk about when we're talking about the Liverpool game coming up this weekend and the difference that could bring. But, um, I think Raheem Sterling will be a successful signing because I think 50 mil, and he's actually not been that bad for us this season as people are making out. Um, Cucurella is an interesting one. I wasn't a huge fan of the signing, but he's been okay, and I imagine he will stay because he has been signed for a massive fee. He's still 24, and he's not an awful left back. He does the job. Um, I'm a massive fan of Fofana, the centre-back that is Fofana. I don't know about this new signing. Datro Fofana, up front-rief sign. Um, But Wesley Fofana at centre-back, as much as, again, 80 mil is a lot of money. It fits right in with where the club are heading towards the fact that he's only 21. Um, he's a bit injury-prone, so hopefully he sorts that out. Um, but again, that's one I think, no doubt, he's going to be a top centre-back in a few years' time. So that is signings, which sort of makes sense. But then, you, of course, you do have the ones I was talking about, which make zero sense, such as Abamyang, which is just a...
1: Hello. I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index... before every Premier League match week, and then Kevin De Vries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter, at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye.
3: Ridiculous signing when you think about it. 33-year-old for 12-mile, and now he could be heading back to Barcelona if you know, the law allows him to. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's just, it's been a bit of a mess, but I think all in all, positive, definitely more than negative.
4: Yeah, I was going to ask you about Jao Felix as well, which is, a bit, I think that's that, that's one that strikes me. I mean, I think he's a good player. I think he's a, <laughs> I think he's a very talented player who probably didn't need a fresh start, to be honest, uh, in terms of sort of realising the most of his talent. But the way in which things have started, I'm, I'm sure there's tonnes of headlines in there about the... The potential cost per per game now because of it, because yeah. it's, a, it's a loan deal. But um, moving away from sort of the transfer just for a second, I'm sure we'll come back to talk about individual players. But the appointment of Graham Potter, then of course, you know, this is decision's made to part ways with Tuchel uh, and Graham Potter, who had done really good work, really solid work at, at Brighton, um, work which I think now, if if, if we're fair about it, deserve be, as well as taking Brighton on from that point. And developing them even more is 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 obviously benefiting from that foundational work that uh, Potter had done there. A promising coach, you know, British coach, and being being given an opportunity like that, uh, not seen very often, of course. Um, what were your thoughts uh, when he was the appointment was initially made, and I suppose um, what did you think of his first sort of opening stretch of games before we get into some of the recent uh, struggles?
3: Yeah, I I. To be totally honest, I watched Brighton a lot and I absolutely loved him as a manager. And that's a massive reason for why I was like, okay, if you can sack Thomas Tuchel and get Graham Potter, then you do so. Um, because I was a massive fan of his football, his recruitment team, which he's brought along with him, have been absolutely wonderful at Brighton. I mean, you can see with the way they... I mean. I mean, Cucurella is a perfect example of that. They probably bought him for 5, 10 mil and sold him on for 60. They do these things on a regular. Caicedo has been linked with a 70, 80 million move away. They probably bought him again for 10, 20. Um, So it's things like that where it's like, okay, there's clearly a lines with what Todd's trying to do let's bring him in let's actually i don't really like this phrase but let's try and trust the process i would have been more than happy to trust the process um with like another manager but it didn't look like they wanted to do that so that's why i thought potter was a brilliant arrival and yeah his first few games um it's interesting because after after a few i actually tweeted saying when do you know whether it's a manager bounce or whether he's actually massively improved the squad and i think we, we, we sort of went eight games unbeaten or something. We won loads of games in the Prem. We, we smashed Milan um in the Champions League. And it was like, okay, we are playing really well, but how much of it is actually that the players want to impress him and stick yeah. around? And Because that has been a problem with Chelsea. It's like, oh, it's an easy second manager. The, Players got what they wanted and all of a sudden they can impress the new one. That's the main reason why we won the Champions League when, just two years ago because Lampard was sacked halfway through. But I I had a feeling that we actually weren't playing too differently to the way T- Tuca was playing. And that's something I noticed really early on. I was like, OK, they're just putting in more effort and that's why we're winning games. And as you can see, as we'll get on to the last few games, the effort has completely gone and that's why we've been in utter shambles.
4: Yeah, you're asking sort of how long, how long before you'd know the answer, uh, late October was, was, basically the, <laughs> yeah. the, the cutoff point. And we'll, yeah, we'll talk about some of the turning point. I mean, the turning point fiction when you, when you read on paper, obviously does look to be, I mean, almost very romantically that 4-1 loss, uh, to, to Brighton. Um, when you look at sort of when the results some of the draws before then, but, um, sort of three consecutive losses from, from that point, you mentioned you watched um, a lot of Potter at Brighton, Was a big were, were a big fan of what he'd, he'd done there. Um, I mean, Loss was made of the style that Potter was implementing there. And I think very often I came away from watching Brighton games being incredibly impressed by just how well coached the teams looked, uh, how clear on their roles, responsibilities that they looked, very well drilled, of course. And then in the end, it did seem to be a side underperforming their XG, but also just missing that little bit of quality, uh, in the final third to make the difference and actually uh, those games that they largely dominated against quite a few of the bigger sides actually come away with the win and what's interesting now is I, w- I wouldn't say they've got still, you know, got huge amounts of more quality in, in an attacking sense under the, uh, the Zerbi but the, the slight tweak in the way in which they're playing uh, has enabled them to score more goals they're taking a few more risks they're letting in a few more of course but that was your Potter's style There uh, was a huge focus on control in games I wouldn't necessarily say that's a million miles away from what Tuchel wanted to, to sort of create with his teams as well um, just in terms of what you've noticed from uh, Potter you mentioned in the first few games not too much changed but what tweaks what tactical sort of switches and changes maybe trust in personnel that wasn't there before have you seen from, from Graham Potter the more he's gotten settled
3: well I think at the beginning the main thing generally was just moving Mason Mount a little bit deeper Um, and I'm not going to say it, as if that solved all problems and I have to say Mason has been you know I'm one of Mason's biggest fans he's been potentially one of our worst five performers this season he's been that bad I don't know what's actually happened in that sense Um, I mean I obviously back him to get back into it but I mean we have always sort of relied on Mason Mount to do something in the last few years. And he's got chucked in these ridiculous roles. I mean, he's like highest player on the pitch at a point, And you're like, this is a guy who is a number eight quite clearly. And he's being asked to do some crazy things because he has the ability to just put the ball in the back of the net. Um, so I think he moved Mason deeper. He sort of changed Sterling's role. And that was a massive thing um, at the beginning. I remember, Tuchel sort of had him playing sometimes in the midfield, sometimes up front, whereas the very first game, Sterling sort of had that left-wing-back role, except he was getting the ball so high up the pitch and actually being able to create something. And we saw more of the England Sterling than you see from the than the Man City Sterling. The Man City Sterling is sort of, oh, he's at the back post, tapping it in, oh, he's trying to link up with the right-back. Um, Whereas the Sterling for England that I see is the one, oh, he's trying to make something happen. He's, you know, trying to be that star player. And that's sort of the early things I saw from Potter. Um, but overall, the way we were playing, it wasn't too dissimilar. Um, but I think as time has gone on since, you, you are starting to see the style of play Potter is trying to get at. It's just obviously the results haven't helped that. And you sort of, you do... You do wonder to yourself as a manager, as you naturally would, you'll be like, mm, mm. is this really working? Things like that, and I think it's just important he sticks to what he knows and what he does best, which was some incredible football at Brighton.
4: Yeah, I think there's naturally sort of things that are going to be labelled against uh, Potter in 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 the position that he's in. Is obviously okay. He hasn't he hasn't previously uh, had to tackle uh, a task like this, working with this caliber of player, for example, and trying to get them to buy into his. His methods. I mean, one thing we usually do on this pod as well is is, is just pinpoint games in the season that you think you think illustrate. Maybe pick a game that you want to uh, under Potter where you think this illustrates what what Chelsea looked like when everything sort of clicks and they're playing in in the style in which he would want them to. Uh, And what's a good example of a game? uh, There's a couple options here of um, when everything hasn't clicked. an an example of some of the problems that Potter's uh, tackling
3: Yeah, I mean there was this early stage, I remember, we beat Milan 3-0, we beat Wolves 3-0 and um, straight after we beat Milan away at the San Siro 2-0 and those were the games I was like, wow, Potter is really you know, really impacted this team I remember that Wolves game, I was at the bridge and it was just incredible. We had we sort of had Gallagher and Mount playing as eights and they completely ruined it. Well as in ruined the other team. Um as at right back who I will talk about later when you I'm saying Liverpool could absolutely destroy him. Um but he somehow just had the most incredible game I've seen in years from him and that completely changed the way we play. Um so those are the sort of games on the positive side I was like, okay, you can really see the difference which Pod is trying to Trying to make it, and then you had those those negative games. Um, that the one against Arsenal, the one that springs to mind, where we didn't play awfully, but we just looked so unbothered, and we just didn't look like we were trying at all. Um that Brighton four one loss obviously wasn't wasn't brilliant. Um so the, and then then people will make a lot of the sort of city and the way we play them, what, three times in the space in a few weeks and lost all three. Um 4 0, you know, is always going to be an embarrassing loss. So I think it's been it's been a lot of ups and downs. Um and yeah, it, it it's it's not been easy, but in some games you've seen things you're trying to do, in some games you haven't. So I think it's important that he, as I said before, sticks to what you know. he's trying to do. The players have to back what um, Potter is doing. Because previously, few years we've seen, as soon as the players don't like what the manager's doing, you know, just tell Roman, tell the board, and he's off and gone and sacked. So it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So it's you know, it's pretty necessary that Potter sticks with what he's got.
4: Yeah, and I was going to say about that, I mean, I think whenever you look back at sort of a fixture list and there's five losses in the last eight games uh, in previous eras of, of uh, Chelsea that that's that's spelled you know trouble for for the manager um but are you sort of sounds like you're pretty confident there in terms of the the stability that uh, Potter has and, and the trust that Bowley has i mean you does everybody get the impression that that's that's the same way for the fans as well
3: it's interesting um i think there are still some fans at least online who have this perception That Tuchel was sat due to performances, and therefore Potter should be sat due to performance because he's, as you said, lost five, six, seven games in a row or something like that. Um, And obviously, the club didn't get a great impression, they didn't make a great impression of themselves when you had. I know we were losing 4 0 to City away, but we're chanting Roman Abramovich's name and Thomas Tuchel's name, and it's loud and clear on BBC One, shown to millions. But I think in general, people do realise the direction which. Potter and Todd Bowley are trying to go into, and that was sort of a thing where, oh, we're 4-0 down, let's just take the piss a little bit and have a little bit of fun, but you know, it was a bit annoying to see, I'm sure it would have hurt Potter a little bit um, and there was, you know I, before this game against Crystal Palace on the weekend where we won 1-0, I was like, if we lose, the fans some of the fans, especially the match going ones, are going to absolutely lose their head, and I do wonder if Todd has sort of the bollocks to to stick with it. Yeah. Um, so I guess we'll never know, because thankfully we did win 1-0. And I I mean, deep down i thinking, okay, no, there, he's just no way he's sacking Potter. But I did speak to a few, and you know, they're like, if the fan reaction is so bad, he's absolutely going to have to take that into account in, to at least some extent. I, Again, he probably probably wouldn't have sacked him, but you never know with these things. But I guess we won 1-0, and even, you know, if we could go on a few losses again, I, I just don't think Potter's going, at least until he's had one or two windows.
4: I think what's interesting about it as well as 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 well as it being a a transition point for for the club in terms of the philosophy that they're taking with promotion of young players, uh, different sort of tactical approach as well. I think it, is, is there's going to be a period of transition for the fans as well as I uh, I imagine because it, it does seem as well as you would expect with any fan base who've gone through this right that uh, the fans have become a little bit accustomed to that sort of changing as well right Where results aren't going well and the players don't look like they're buying in necessarily to to the the philosophy the manager is trying to get across you know the fans are going to get disgruntled and then you very often that's resulted in you know a manager disappearing from the Chelsea dugout uh, and and a new one appearing quite soon afterwards uh, fans not getting their way necessarily let's say in that situation if if they were to turn on on potter perhaps there actually needs to be that period of you know um realization that that Chelsea are no longer going to be run in that way a little bit I almost worry that if if Boley was to give in to some of that pressure then you're just back in the cycle that you've always been in right
3: 100% I don't think I could have said that any better um, okay the fans, the fans absolutely need to change as well um, they as you said they've just we've just been used to you know sacking a manager every two years winning a trophy here and there but it's the main reason we haven't won a title in seven years or something like that. I mean, I don't want to constantly compare, but if you look at Arsenal around last year, everyone wanted Arteta to go. Um, And then are top of the league, they're loving life. And if anything, they, they, you know, they're set to win it if they don't muck it up themselves. So it's important to look at that and see, okay, I'm not going to say it's the exact same. And I do think we have a better squad than what they had last sort of season. And we should be doing better than we are. But, If you sort of trust what the manager's going to do, if you sort of sign signings to help your squad dynamic and things on the pitch, then you're going to head in the right direction. And if the way City and, don't mind me saying, Liverpool are going downwards at the moment, um, I think that the couple definitely sense an opportunity to sort of grow in the next few years and really, really excel.
4: Yeah, it's an interesting one, I think. Yeah, something about Liverpool. I mean, the the impression I've got of this Liverpool side, to be honest, is that uh, there's actually probably not. A huge amount wrong, uh, but there's just a section of the pitch that they 've neglected to transition uh mm. to sort of the next generation um I mean love Harvey as you mentioned him earlier on, but the guy's a winger as his Carvalho uh and <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the 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 options in the field are uh, I know you were talking about it at the start of the pod, but for liverpool um yeah no that's there needs to be uh, quite a lot of surgery in that uh, in that midfield other than that i'm I'm quietly not too unhappy with the options. I think there's some players out injured as well. But yeah, I think Klopp's in a similar position, I think, at the moment of um, relative stability. It feels like there's, I think, apart from the usual sort of Twitter mob that you, you'll you find from time to time, I don't think anyone's genuinely uh, saying Klopp out by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I think it's, they're more curious about the fact that Klopp's never really gone through um, a rebuild like this. So this is going to be interesting to see how he does it. Especially with, um, you know, combined with the departure of some of the more noted members of the, of the scouting department, shall we say? But in terms of uh, the expectations for the season ahead, then I mean, it's it's difficult to sort of, you know, to to know where things would go from this from this point, um, or whether it's going to be a season of inconsistency for for the club. I mean, currently, obviously, sat in. 10th um, place um level on points of liverpool having played a game more but i mean what are your expectations for for the remainder of the season and, and, and at this point i mean where where do you think chelsea uh, will will end up finishing
3: i think we'll finish around the 6th to 8th place something like that um okay. I think the big thing we do have is players coming back from injury now, really important ones. Reese James is a massive I mean he changes our team completely. It is ridiculous. Um which I will talk about actually when I want to want see from Portland in the next few months. But um yeah, Reese James coming back, Fafana coming back um after cheek and chill well and sort of these these good players who have shown what they can do for us in the last few years um but the thing i want to see from potter more than anything i couldn't care less honestly if he finished 14th and this happened was that he takes more risks with the starting lineups and i mean that in the sense that start players who are actually going to be here for you in the next few years don't start players who are going to leave in the summer so for example georginio is his contract is running out this summer you've got Carney chikwameka a top top player just sitting on the bench. And you're like, why are we playing Jorginho over Chukwemeka if you know you're going to get that backing from Boley? So previous managers, if they started Jorginho over I'm like, fine, you can probably get sacked in about five games' time if it costs you. Whereas, With Potter, it's like, okay, you know you're going to get that backing, you've got that time, so let's start thinking about the future a little bit. This massive problem I've had with him in the last month, probably my only problem with Potter in general, is this situation we've had at right back and right wing back. Um,
0: I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. (laughs) This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want.
3: The problem with our squad is when you go from Rhys James to our next player in um, the yeah. level in drop-off is, is honestly ridiculous. I was thinking this today. I don't think Azpilicueta starts for another Premier League club and he's sort of here because of his status, which is a legend. Mm. Um, and I don't want I don't, I don't watch Liverpool that much, but it's sort of get that vibes with Jordan Henderson. Um, right. But there's this academy player, this right wing-back, who is would fit the squad like a gem. And his name is Dion Rankin, if anyone's interested. I know his contract runs out this summer. He is expected to leave. But you've seen the way Lewis Hall has transformed our team at left wing back. Why not just throw in Dion Rankin at right wing back for a game and see what happens? He didn't even get a chance. Um, And the biggest problem came in the Champions League game against Zagreb. We had finished top of the group stage. There were four spots left on the academy bench. Sorry, on the bench of the game. There were four just empty spots and not a single academy player was called up. And I think it's like... Those sort of games, you're like, well, why aren't you thinking for the future? I mean, it, it makes no sense. And it's sort of things I absolutely criticize Tugel for. So it's only right that I do it for Potter. So I'd just like to see a few more risks taken um, and just thinking about the future a bit more.
4: Yeah, no, I think it's, again, when managers are going through tough, tough periods of time, it's, it's not always surprising to see them, even managers you think are beyond it, to be honest, or, or above it, turning back to. Experience, just, you know, just looking at sort of the number of appearances, looking at the, uh, the, the, the age of those players and going, I'm, I'm going to put these guys through it rather than expose younger players to it. But I, th- I think, as you pointed out there, sometimes it comes at the detriment to the team. It's, it's something that is definitely a similarity with, with Liverpool there in terms of, you know, I mean, you mentioned Jordan Henderson as a, a player who clearly been sort of very below par this season. Uh, and yet has played game in, game out, game in, game out. And only uh, in the the FA Cup game last night, uh, where he um wasn't part of the squad, uh, we we see a more compact midfield. By no means the the level that we're hoping for, perhaps moving forward, but a much improved midfield. The test, I suppose, will be uh, in that lineup against Chelsea. Uh, does Klopp revert to Fabinho and Henderson, who've, who've who've struggled this season, Henderson more so, for example? Or is he actually gonna make that change, as he said he would, with sort of going with meritocracy? I think that's a little bit what you're talking about there around sort of just wanting to see those players who play better and are younger get a chance the players are going to pay so are gonna be there next season, as you say. Yeah, I think that's 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 definitely been a similarity. But again, a very experienced manager, managers won everything, turning to experience in those moments. That's that's what we've seen so far from from Klopp as well. So Seems to happen to the best of them, uh, but uh, yeah. it's going to be interesting to see whether there's a turning point for for, for both of them. Uh, just but what, but just before we get into the actual game itself, uh, I just wanted to ask: I mean, are there particular players who maybe Liverpool fans wouldn't have had uh, too much uh, awareness of, um, but are getting a look in now, uh, or even some of the new signings that you think that have been some of the unsung heroes, the ones who've gone a little bit under the radar that need to be uh, um, sort of paid more attention to.
3: Um, Lewis Hall is certainly the big one he is a midfielder currently playing at left back for us and he has as I said before completely displaced Kukarela from the team Um, he missed training today actually but he will be back tomorrow I've been told Um, so hopefully I mean he picked up a knock in the Palace game but he'll be absolutely fine hopefully for the Liverpool game Um, Badia Shile had a really impressive game against Crystal Palace in his debut and he has sort of made you know, it sort of makes you wonder what on earth has Koulibaly been up to in the last few months, but I only know it's been one game and he did have a shaky first 15 minutes positioning-wise, but it looked like he got used to it really soon and um, that was really encouraging. Other than that, um, there isn't much to look out for. We sort of just, you know, with the injuries we have, we sort of got our normal lineup of Kovacic, Jorginho, Aspen Aquella, Thiago Silva, Mason Mount, Kai Havertz, and then Ziyech or, or someone like that. Um, so I'd say, yeah, I'd say Lewis Hall and Badia Sheila are two players who probably will start against Liverpool and who you may not know too much about.
4: Mm. And then moving on to that game, then I suppose both clubs uh, in, in tricky spots. Uh, yeah, Chelsea obviously picked up that important win against Palace. Liverpool. I mean, I think picked up what actually feels like it was quite an important win. If it if it leads to the changes that we're hoping for, um, that win against Wolves last night in the in the replay in the FA Cup, uh, it does feel like both clubs are had sort of an interesting turning point in terms of, sort of how their managers look to approach the remainder of the season. How are you expecting Potter to approach approach this game? I mean, he had lots of success against Liverpool as Brighton manager. And uh, this is certainly a more sort of beleaguered version of Liverpool. It does look as though, um, hopefully, uh, chaos agent uh, Darwin Nunes will be back. Uh, so that's uh, promising for sort of the early kickoff as well, that he probably does something ridiculous and hopefully score. But in, in terms of what you're expecting from uh, in Potter's approach to a game like that away at Anfield, but in this sort of period where Liverpool have diminished a little bit, how are you expecting him to approach it?
3: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, so at Brighton, he's sort of, you know, you expect Liverpool to dominate Brighton. Therefore, he was able to do his thing um, in terms of playing good football, playing on the counter and sort of dominating it in that sense. Whereas at, when you're at Chelsea, you know, the expectations are slightly different. You're like, oh, Chelsea need to go and try there and actually properly go for the win in terms of they need to try and play good football, they need to play out the back, they need to keep a high line, keep an interesting game and things like that. So that's going to be really interesting. I think the big thing is this is the first time Potter has had a full week of training with the full squad set of players. So it's not an international break for around, I think, since October, since September, something like that. So it's going to be really interesting um, to see, you know, the way the way if he can implement some sort of tactical adjustments, which he probably hasn't been able to do in the last few months because we're playing every three days and one day of that is recovery. Um, so it'll be fascinating to see the way he sets up. A lot of it is going to rely on Reese's fitness. He's been out on the pitch doing recovery now for around a week. Um, so is he going to be, is he going to take that risk? I hope not, to be totally honest, because that's what happened last time and he got injured pretty much the next game and set him out for further month um and Chilwell won't be back Loftus-Cheek will probably make the bench um and then I guess the other big thing which I think the whole world will be wanting to see is is Mudrick gonna play um he hasn't played since November any football because of the winter break um but with Pulisic out with Sterling I think who's probably out as well you're like what is what what's the worst could happen if you just chucked him in the team and you know, I think a lot of people are going to make out the fact it's Mudrick a one v one winger against Trent. Um, a lot of people are going to be interested to see that happens. He's definitely not fit enough to play 90 minutes, but if you stop him, chuck him in the start, play him 60, see what can happen. Um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see that works. And I, you know, he, I haven't watched much of him, and I don't think many people have, but he seems to have this sort of really athletic sort of character. He's really big and he's really quick, and that could cause problems to the Liverpool sort of midfield and defense. So yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to the way Potter sets up.
4: Yeah, I think that, I think that's going to be key because I, I think as you mentioned there, uh Liverpool this season have largely been struggling with uh, teams adopting a tactical approach, which is what Liverpool used to do to to hurt them to, to hurt their opponents. To be honest, I mean they've struggled in transition. Uh, they look really vulnerable to it. Really, uh, vast majority of games this season um, haven't looked to change their approach to cater for some of the limitations of the players that have been starting. And it's only now that we're seeing sort of rotation in that midfield um, and perhaps sort of the, you know, the inclusion of players who will prevent Trent from being in sort of 1v1 situations with wingers uh, because uh, obviously he's going to be leaving space given sort of the creative impact he has. So it's going to be interesting to see if Klopp does go with that changed midfield. Uh, Will we actually see the right side of midfielder uh, going back, helping, uh, Trent out and, and not just leaving him exposed. And also, if, if it's going to be him versus Mudrik, that's going to be a very exciting, a very, a, well, certainly a very exciting battle, actually, in terms of, uh, both of their, both of their styles. It's, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting one in terms of, for the remainder of the season, you, you've already sort of spoken about your expectations there, um, and, and, and you spoke about what you want to see from, from Potter one question I didn't ask there was just sort of how Potter's handled the job off the pitch. I mean, I think that's, that's sort of the aspect of being Chelsea manager that used to come under a lot of scrutiny, uh, probably come under less scrutiny in some ways now than it did beforehand under Abramovich. But um, this is a, you know, a big opportunity for him, but it's, a, it's also a challenge. How do you think he's handled that side of, of the job?
3: Yeah, this is sort of links back to the point where Chelsea fans need to change a bit. Um... He's sort of, you know, you know, you, I mean, if you know Potter, you know the way he's going to be. He's going to, you know, answer questions honestly. He's going to be perhaps a bit blunt, as people say, and not be that active on the touchline. Whereas we've been used to Thomas Tuchel, Antonio Conte, Frank Lampard, Jose Mourinho, characters like these, where they're going bonkers, they're, they're sort of giving the aggression you want in the press conferences to sort of fire up the players. Whereas Potter's just a completely different style. And you've, again, fans have to you know get used to that Um, I mean a lot gets made of Potter's sort of emotional intelligence and sort of the degree he did and things like that I mean it's hard for us to tell how that's going on with the players he seems to have a really good relationship with them Um, and I think that's important in that sense and the big thing is he's getting off off the pitch, he's getting on really well with Bowley. he's having um, a say in signings which is something we haven't seen happen at all in the last few years And there's that communication, which wasn't a thing under Tuchel at all, um, between, you know, sort of the uppers and, well, between Boley and Tuchel and then um, between Lampard and Marina, for example, that really died down. So I think, obviously, we've spoken about on the pitch, but off the pitch, he's sort of just, he's he's done what he's known to do. And I think that's important and it's the reason why Todd signed him. And um, as long as that continues, then we'll be all right.
4: So if I was to put you on the spot, then I mean, what's what what type of game are you expecting this uh, this weekend? Early kickoff, uh, sort of unknown a little bit what both teams are going to be like. Actually, there's one question that, uh, that Liverpool listeners would not uh, forgive me for um, not asking ahead of a Liverpool Chelsea game. Uh, please tell me, Cante is not available, is he? Kante is not available thank no, God, it's God not. just for once <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah. it's every single season that has been the question oh, so, right he's like, just come back just in time he's, I mean. he's always been back I mean I, I, I know he's gone through his um, sort of uh, his own journey at Chelsea in terms of, sort of the way fans maybe view him these days but uh, he always seemed to make it his way back to <laughs> the fixture and always used to put it, him and Kovacic especially uh, yeah. in, incredible performances so uh, he, he is un- he's unavailable this weekend
3: he is unavailable, so is Zakaria. Um, oh, okay. So I imagine it will just be Jorginho and Kovacic, which I think.
4: Ooh, interesting. Okay.
3: Yeah, which perhaps you know could combat your midfield and being one of the weakest midfielders around. So, um, yeah. so that so that will be interesting. But yeah.
4: Yeah. No. Exactly. It's, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm 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 hoping for. I mean. Youngster Stefan Bajcetic last night was 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 impressive, but you don't you don't know how a midfielder like that would would do in a game against mm. two very experienced opponents there in in the Chelsea midfield. I mean, there's 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 no lack of sort of cynicism in those two as well. They're they're yeah. two very clever operators. Uh, Nabi Keita, I mean, never had an issue with him apart from the fact that uh, he's just not been there as much as I would have liked. And um, yeah, that third one, if it's going to be. As it was last night. Uh, I mean, Tiago Cantara starts when he's fit. Um, will we see Henderson come back in? Will we see Fabinho come back in? Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting for sure. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm expecting a fairly frenetic game uh, to be honest, and uh, that's also why sort of, I'm hoping for the inclusion of uh, of of Nunez as well. But um, uh, anyway, Path. I mean, thanks thanks so much. Though. We've covered a lot, I think, in that in, in that time in terms of. The move from uh, to call the move from Abramovich to Boli, uh, the different approach, the the mindset change for the players, the coach, and the fans. I think it's going to be a really interesting remainder of the season. Thanks again so much for coming on and sharing your your insight.
3: No worries. Thanks so much. I've really enjoyed you know talking about Chelsea this season. Mm. Um, it's, it's it's a ch- yeah it's a change from what it's been, but it's it's been it's been good.
4: Yeah. Is it is there also just wanted to invite you. As well, is, there, is there anything that you want to plug as well before you uh, before you do go?
3: Um, I mean, if you're interested in sort of following Chelsea, do follow my account, the Chelsea Spot. But other than that, um, I don't think it'll be that helpful.
4: Yeah, so, uh, yeah sure you'd be surprised, but I think <laughs> I think, <I> think <laughs> given where Liverpool's uh, Liverpool fans' mindsets uh, is at the moment, uh, yeah, we'll have to see. But um, again, thank you so much for coming. on. I appreciate it. Uh, then also to all the listeners who've uh, obviously been you know, joining me on these rival recon pods this season uh you'll be happy to know there'll be another one coming uh there's a bit of deja vu actually over the next few uh game days because Liverpool, as you know, that would have seen them going back to Brighton, which is I'm sure that's gonna be fun for us again uh in the f a cup um so there's a chance for revenge or just a chance of repetition we'll see uh and then also going back to to wolves uh for the uh, the next game in the premier League well we'll' be doing a pot ahead of that one on on the fourth of feb so do join us for another episode. Of rivalry, kind on of ahead of that game, uh, but between now and then, check out all the great content uh, on, on Anfield Index Pro. Some really good analysis uh, at, at the moment into the sort of the areas where Liverpool have struggled this season. I think Brighton. Hopefully, that let's say the Brighton defeat was the nadir, and there's some been uh, home truths accepted now. But do check out all the other, other great content on the channel, and we'll be back again ahead of that game uh, against Wolves on the fourth of Feb.
2: We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show.